0: back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. We're going to be talking UFC 203, Miocic versus Overeem. And joining me from the very beautiful Brisbane, Australia, to break down UFC 203 is UFC lightweight Damian Brown. Damian, welcome back to Half the Battle, man. Thanks for taking the time. No worries, man. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. Let's get right down to business, dude. The featured fight pass prelim. We got Yancy Medeiros. He's a minus 135 favorite. The comeback on Sean Spencer is plus 115. This is a great fight man. I mean if you look at their stats on fight metric, I mean well firstly let's look at their attributes. I mean they're both 510 they both have a 75 inch reach. This is Yancey Madero's first fight at 170 pounds. I think the 15 extra pounds of water in his uh in his body and his brain it's gotta it's gotta make him feel better you know maybe it'll make him uh take punches better too with Sean Spencer. I mean, that kid's a lot of fun to watch, very good volume striker. One thing, you know, not that I'm in a place to criticize a fighter, but one thing I've noticed with him is that he tends to drop a lot of his opponents in that first round, but he's not able to finish them. You know, like for example, in the Cajal Pendred fight, in the Paul fight, even the Mike Pyle fight, he drops his opponents in the first round. And he goes to follow up in their guard, but then he gets tied up. You know, if it was a one-time thing, then I'd think, you know, he's young in the game. He's learning his craft. But it's happened multiple times. Do you think that's a sign of, you know, of he needs to work on his killer instinct? Is he just figuring it out? Or what do you think the deal is with that, man? Because, I mean, for example, if you wouldn't have followed up with Cesar India, we wouldn't be talking about your first-round KO now, you know?
1: Yeah, um... Man, you know, I don't know a lot about him. Uh, You know, I've watched uh, a few of uh, Medeiros' fights, but not a lot of uh, Spencer. But, I mean, I think the thing with the killer instinct is, like, you know, you can have it or not have it, but it doesn't make any difference if that opponent, you know, isn't, you know, if you can't put him away. Like, you know, it's uh, similar to when I dropped uh, Cesar in the first round, uh, in the, the first time, you know. Sometimes it's just not there. You just can't get those clean shots off, you know what I mean? Um, but if he's got if he's got the power to put him down, then he's certainly got the power to finish the fight. I think Yancy will get this one. You know he's uh he's a little different. You know he's he's got a he's kind of got a bit of a weird style. It's not very conventional. But you know he's, he's got that reach, and I think um, you know a lot of guys have been going up in weight classes, and they look kind of good going up there. You know like if if they were making you know twenty pound water cuts in a week to make weight, then they're definitely going to look better. You know doing a five pound water cut, so. Yeah, I, th- I think Yancey will probably uh, probably get this one and uh, start a successful 170 campaign.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's always been one of the bigger lightweights. And with Sean Spencer, you know, I, I kind of consider him a bit of a small welterweight. So now that uh, Yancey's going up in weight, it's going to be interesting to see how he fares in the welterweight division. You were mentioning his, uh, you know, unique style. He does have... Uh, Karate background with Sean Spencer. He's a former Golden Gloves boxer. So, you know, Sean Spencer likes to bounce around on his feet He's kind of more of a volume striker and Yancy Madero's like you said, man I mean he will throw the spinning back kicks. he will you know, he's very he's a tough gritty warrior that last fight with Trinaldo was one of the best fights of the year now what I want to know is Is he coming back too soon from such a serious war where, you know, he got dropped, Ronaldo got dropped, or is the fact that he's going up to 170 going to be beneficial, like you said, you know, with examples like Whitaker and Poirier, who are having that success up away class?
1: Oh, no, you know, I think, you know, in terms of coming back from wars, like, I think, you you know, you can come back weeks later, you know what I mean, as long as you're doing the right things to recover and, and you're looking after yourself in between, like, um... It was a war, but yeah, I, I wouldn't sort of. I don't really read into the whole war thing, so I don't think he's coming back too soon. Um, you know, I just think that the move up, if if he cuts that much weight, then the move up definitely going to be beneficial. And, and uh, you know, I think someone with a karate background's got lots of movement as well. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. You know, definitely. Um, but I think you'll get it done.
0: Yeah, and I agree with the odds makers. You know, I do think this is a pick'em with a slight lean in Madero's favor. Now, next up, man, we got Ian McCall. He's minus 125. The comeback on Ray Borg is plus 105. This is a hell of a matchup. You know, Ian McCall was initially supposed to fight on the ATL card that you fought at against Justin Scoggins. We all know what happened there, but now he's making the short turnaround about a month later against Ray Borg, who, you know, Ray Borg's no slouch, and this kid's only twenty-three years old. And I know in Borg's last fight against Scoggins, you know, he uh, he did drop that one. But you know what, man? These, these kids that are so young, you know, g- give them a couple months, they come back a completely different fighter. So I'm wondering if Ray Borg's made the proper adjustments to compete at the, you know, the top of the UFC flyweight division. So, man, I'm curious about this one. And then you look at Ian's last fight, which was a very long time ago, against John Lineker, who's an absolute monster. But... One thing that John Lineker showed was uh you know McCall doesn't really like when dudes jump guillotine on him. You know who's great at jumping guillotine? Ray Borg. So I'm kind of leaning towards Borg, but the veteran savvy of McCall could be a factor here, Damian.
1: I think McCall's footwork will be be a bit more of a factor. I think he he might be a little bit quick for for Borg. I think he's maybe a little bit heavier on the feet compared to um some of the other flyweights. Um you know, I, I think uh Ian McCall might be a bit bit too quick for him. You know, a little bit more speed, uh, better footwork. I think he might he might probably have his way there. Um you know, anyone with a good guillotine is a good chance, you know what I mean? Like you've only got to have your head slightly down in the wrong position, and it's all over. So you know, I would uh lean towards Ian McCall. I might be a bit biased, I kinda of like the guy, so it's uh you know, I, I just think he, he might have the footwork and the speed to get him over the line.
0: Yeah, Ian's a great guy, and so is Ray Borg, man. They're both really cool guys. And one thing about Borg, you know, he's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's, you know, he was training at the rival gym of Jackson's MMA. But then I see pictures of him with Six Gun Gibson. So, you know, I, I don't know what the deal is if he if he joined that gym, if he's cross training. But uh, I mean, that's a and, good guy to get working with.
1: Well, I think the thing with uh, Six Gun Gibson is. Um, I mean, he, he he goes out to heaps of different gyms, you know. He just recently cornered a guy from Team Alpha Male, I think. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I think I think he recently cornered or did some work with one of the guys from Team Alpha Male. Um, you know, he, he he's doing his own thing. I know, I know he's out there working with all of Jackson's guys and he's part of that team. But you know, obviously he's got his own brand as well, and and um, you know he's he's got to make the dollars. So I wouldn't be surprised. You know, maybe Borg is there, but maybe he's not. You know what I mean? He might have just uh, sourced um, Brendan Gibson and, and asked him to coach him in his striking. So uh, I know he also, you know, he does a few of those alpha male guys and then he also does um, out at Cerrone's uh, BMF Ranch as well um, with some guys out there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. He might not be from there. You know, he might still be at that rival gym, so... So it sounds
0: to me like you're picking Ian McCall. Do you think he's going to win a unanimous decision, or do you see a finish in this fight?
1: No, I don't see a finish in this fight. I, th- I think it'll be a decision. Um, yeah, I-, I reckon it'll be probably a unanimous decision, but it'll be a close fight. You know, I don't think it'll be completely one-sided. I just think McCall will be too fast for him.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a hell of a fight, regardless of who gets their hand raised. Now, next up, man, we got Brad Tavares. He's a minus 170 favorite. The comeback on Kyle Magallese is plus 150. <laughs> This is going to be a good fight, man. You know, uh, Brad Tavares hasn't competed inside the octagon since he fought Robert Whitaker in Australia. That was, you know, a hell of a knockout for Whitaker. But, I mean, Tavares has taken the proper amount of time off. And, uh, man, you know, he's been switching camps, though. I'm kind of... I, I want to know where he's at mentally because, you know, he was at King's MMA for a while. He left. Now he's somewhere else. And with Kyle Maguias... He's also taken a little bit of time off um, since his loss to Josh Saman. Kaio's one of these dudes that comes out the gate and blitzes you early. And with uh, Brad Tavares, if he is to win this fight, I think he's going to imply, you know, implement more of a you know wall and stall kind of style, take him down, you know, throw the leg kicks, win that decision. So it's a matter of do you think uh, Kaio's going to blitz him early, or is Brad going to be able to weather that storm and win the
1: decision? No, I mean Brad's got some good wrestling as well. You know what I mean? So. I reckon uh, I reckon he might be able to, to stop those takedowns and and uh Magalaz's game jiu-jitsu game I think from memory so yeah, yeah. uh
0: jiu-jitsu black belt I, that throws big bombs on the feet
1: Yeah I, th- I think he might be able to you know he, he's pretty Tavares is a pretty technical man he he should be able to stay away from those those big bombs and um uh you know he uh he he should be able to counter counter strike and and defend the wrestling and once Margoez you know gets tired man, I think uh Tavares will, will capitalize on that I'll, I'll probably see this one being a knockout in the second round Tavares interesting,
0: so you're going with Tavares via knockout. that's a I like that pick man yeah now well, I think
1: we'll get done in the second round yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a good fight for
0: sure now, next up man, we got Jessica I she's fighting in Cleveland for the very first time under the u f c banner she's minus one forty the comeback on Betch koea. Is plus 120. I like the underdog here, man. I like Betch Cohea a lot, you know. I uh, I went back and I watched Jessica Eye's fight and uh you know when she's on her game, man, she's got very good counter-striking, she's aggressive, but other times, man, she uh, you know, if you put that pressure on her, she doesn't seem to react well to that. And with uh Betchie, you know, a lot of people criticize the opponents that she faced before she fought Ronda Rousey, but after the Ronda Rousey fight, I thought she performed very well against Raquel Pennington, who you know firsthand is, you know, on a win streak and doing big things in that division. So, dude, I like Bechko hey here, man. I think that she's the more confident fighter. In this point in her career, I think her striking is sharper, and it's going to be a striking match because you, we know Jessica I loves to throw bombs on the feet. I know in her last fight she didn't throw at all because uh, she was uh, worried about the takedown from Sarah McMahon. You don't have to worry about the takedown with Betch Kohea, but I do think Betch's hands are more technical and crisp, and that'll be the difference here. So for me, I got
1: Kohea via unanimous decision. Who you got? Um, I'll probably, probably go with I. You know, I think she's quite aggressive. Uh, and, and being striker versus striker i mean um, you know Beth's got good some good boxing skills and stuff like that but i think being striker versus striker that'll it'll, it'll give uh, Jessica oh, a good chance to open up man i think she'll she'll be able to open up and uh, let her hands go and not worry about that takedown and and i think um, you know she should be able to get it done
0: I mean, Jessica's back is against the wall, and usually when a fighter's back is against the wall, you know, I I, I like to bet on them because I think they're going to come through. But in this spot, Betsy's back is against the wall too, and I think she's been performing on a higher level. So I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I'm going to go with the underdog, but it's going to be a hell of a fight because those two are going to throw down. And uh, most, (laughs) most likely it goes to decision, but who knows, you know. Jessica has made a, a girl's ear explode before in the past. And uh, Betsy, uh you know, in her fight with Ronda Rousey, you know, she went down, but she stood and banged till one person fell, which all the fans love to see fights like that. So this could, uh, this could be something similar, man. One, one of them could go down.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them had dropped at some point in the fight. I don't think the fight will be finished. But, um, you know, I think it'll go to a decision. But I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if one of them sat down at some point in time.
0: Yeah, I mean, my official pick is Betchie via decision. So I agree with you. It's definitely going over two and a half. But, man, they're going to throw down. So we're going to be on the edge of our seat. Now, next up, man, we got Jessica Andrade. She's minus 150. The comeback on Joanne Calderwood is plus 130. This is a hell of a fight. You know, Jessica Andrade, she made her strawweight debut at UFC 199 in Los Angeles. I was in attendance, and she took on the former number one contender in Jessica Penny. And, uh, man, she TKO'd her in the second round big hook she loves to close that distance she'll rip that body hard and with joanne calderwood i gotta say her performance against valerie letourneau was the career defining performance for jojo calderwood but one little factor that people often forget about that fight it was up at 125 pounds now she's dropping back to 115 we know those weight cuts are serious for her with jessica she seemed to perform well yeah i mean we we talked about her ufc debut she seemed to drop two weight classes perfectly fine uh especially for someone as, you know, compact as she is. She's a very short, stocky fighter. I'm going to lean towards Jessica here, man. I mean, just her pressure is relentless. But, you know, up to weight classes, she, uh, she, you know, she'd give up her back from time to time. And if Joanne capitalizes on something like that, hey, she can go ahead and take this because i mean look she's training at Tristar. that's a great gym great coaches great training partners so she has to be improving every day but there's something about that power of jessica andrage that not a lot of the fighters in that weight class possess besides uh joanna young you know what i mean
1: man yeah man hundred percent um uh i do disagree this time i think uh calderwood she's she's on a good thing man i know that that last fight was upper weight division but uh you know, I think she's been competing, competing well. She's been competing at 115 for a long time. Um, you know, I remember when she was fighting in Invicta, and uh, man, she, she's she's a great kickboxer with a great background. I'm sure she'll be ready for that for those bombs that are coming out. You know what I mean? Um, Andrade definitely has that punching power, that knockout power. But uh, you know, I, th- I think uh, Calderwood's, you know, Joanne Calderwood's done pretty good, man. She, you know, she can take a shot. So. I think Andrade could walk into some of those uh, Calderwood knees, you know what I mean? And it uh, could be over if she walks into one of them, especially the way she throws them. So, you know, I think um, – I don't know that this fight goes a distance. I think this fight finishes early, and uh, I'll probably pick Calderwood to, to get the finish early.
0: So do you think Calderwood is going to weather the storm, or do you think she's going to simply catch her?
1: No, no. I think I think she'll she'll outclass her, out-technique her, and then eventually she'll catch her. Um I think she'll have to weather the storm. Like she won't have a choice. You know, she's going to have to weather the storm to some degree. But uh, I do think that she's probably the more technical fighter. And um, I think if she can, you know, avoid those big shots, I think she'll she'll wear Andrade down and uh, and she'll get the finish.
0: All right. So we got Damian Brown taking the underdog Joanne Calderwood. I'm taking the favorite Jessica Andrade. One thing we can agree on is that fight has the potential to not go the distance, and it's going to be a hell of a scrap, man. But you know what else is going to be a hell of a scrap? Jimmy Rivera. He's minus 130. Uriah Faber is plus 110. This is going to be a war, man. And I love this kid, Jimmy Rivera. I've been high on him since his UFC debut. Uh, he's the definition of a winner. I mean, one doesn't simply go 19-1 and one in pro MMA. It's, it's unheard of. And... You know he did uh, compete on The Ultimate Fighter a very long time ago, and he, you know, he tried out for the show when he was eight and one. He took on Dennis Bermudez. He won the first round ten eight, and uh, it was up a weight class. And then he gassed out in the second round, got his back taken, and, and you know got pounded out. But since then, man, I mean, that he was eight and one back then. Now he's nineteen and one. He's gotten a lot of experience. You know, he's fought under the UFC banner multiple times. He's an absolute monster. With Uriah, he usually doesn't lose the non-title fights unless he's fighting a uh, Frankie Edgar. But man, I've said this for a long time. I think Jimmy Rivera is a future UFC world champion. And, you know, we often like to talk about these guys that, you know, will take a punch to give a punch. With Jimmy Rivera, he'll... uh He'll take a punch to give three punches. You know, he's a combo guy. And my buddy Sean Carey was making the point that, you know, with Uriah, he's great at blocking, you know, if you're a single-shot fighter, he's great at avoiding it. But it's the dudes that throw the combos that give Uriah the biggest problems. And with Jimmy Rivera, one of uh, the... Combos that he loves to go to is that 3 2 left body kick. I mean, he's very effective with that. I think that's going to be a big weapon here, man. I th- obviously, we got to look out for Faber's right hand, his guillotine choke, his experience. He's an absolute monster. He's a legend of the game. I mean, if it wasn't for Uriah Faber and BJ Penn, Who knows where the lighter weight classes would be today. So, I mean, we got to give him a lot of credit for that. But at the end of the day, man, I think Jimmy Rivera is going to make that statement in this fight. And people are going to be talking about him as the next uh, UFC title challenger. So what do you think, bro? I mean, Jimmy Rivera is currently ranked number 13 in the world. Uriah is about, you know, three or four. But in my eyes, Jimmy Rivera is a top five guy. So how do you see this matchup uh, playing out, bro?
1: man i'm i'm a massive fan of both i'm actually a big fan of jimmy rivera man like i, I remember his last fight prior to the fight I, I picked it and i was like yeah he's gonna win i think he'll win by finish or however it finished i, I picked it at the time on twitter and uh now i did the same thing uh yesterday man i was on twitter and uh you know i was talking to a couple of people on there and i was like you know no one no one likes no one likes a draw but i like both these guys but i think i think rivera's on a good thing at the moment man he's He's got uh, very similar to Frankie Edgar. He's got a great ability to put combos together and turn it into wrestling. I think, um, you know, if you can put two or three combos together and turn it into world-class wrestling at the same time, guys are going to have trouble with you. And, um, you know, I think that's why people have had so much trouble with Frankie. Um, you know, he puts these combos together. And before you know it, like before you get to Counter-Strike, he's hit, he's hit you with a double or a single. I think uh, Jimmy Rivera will be able to do the same thing. He does get a little tired still as he goes on, but I think he's a lot better than he used to be. And, um, you know, I like Faber. Faber's Faber, you know what I mean? He, he's a legend. He's uh, He's got that veteran experience. He's been around for years. You know, he is on the tail end of his career. But, you know, he's dangerous, man. Um, but I think if Rivera can put his game together and put it together for three rounds, I, I, think, um, I think he'll get the... Uh, the win, uh, you know, I think uh, he has the potential to win by knockout, but uh, Faber not easy to finish man So I'll probably go with uh, Jimmy Rivera by decision,
0: man You bring up so many great points, you know The fact that uh, Jimmy Rivera does tend to slow down if you can, you know absorb his shots and with Uriah Faber He's known for his durability, but at the same time his last fight even though it was against the champ Who's a top three pound for pound guy Cruz isn't known for sitting people down with his punches And, you know, Uriah did get dropped a couple times. All credit to Cruz on that. But, man, I don't think Uriah is as durable as he used to be. And that's no disrespect to him, man. It happens to every great fighter. Uriah, look, when Jimmy Rivera made his pro debut, Uriah had already fought, you know, probably 15 times. It's just how it goes in this game, man. And I honestly see Jimmy Rivera knocking out Faber with that 3-2. I think you. I'm not convinced that uh, Faber can, you know, absorb those shots because, I mean, Jimmy Rivera's got some serious firepower, man. He's known a lot for going to decision, but if you watch his last few fights before he came into the UFC, he really, you know, he's, his power has just been translating. It's, I don't know why that started happening, but I guess, you know, he is a young guy. He's only 26, 27, so he's been evolving and all that experience. And also another thing, people wonder, how is Jimmy Rivera going to uh, react to adversity? I mean, we saw in the Pedro Munoz fight, even in the Yuri Alcantara fight, that he reacts perfectly fine. It's just we gotta, you know, look out for his gas tank. Hopefully, you know, he uh, he's got that under control. But it seems to me like he does, man. So yeah, bro, I got Jimmy Rivera here. Uh, you got any uh, last comments on this fight?
1: No, man. I, I think I think the thing is, uh, you know, I think you, I agree with you in in terms of uh, the durability. You know, it does it does wear off towards the end of your career. But um, you know, I think. Uh, Nah, I think Rivera will win by decision, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does finish favor. So, uh, you know, watch out for that one. Definitely watch out for that one, man. And
0: <laughs> This one right here is kind of funny, man. We got Mickey Galli's minus 440. The comeback on Phil Brooks, CM Punk, is plus 350. Now, look, man, I, I understand, you know, you watch the documentaries, it, it, it's a feel-good story, it's cool, uh, CM Punk seems like a really cool guy, but listen, man, you don't just make... One doesn't simply make their UFC debut with one year of training experience and zero fight experience whatsoever. It's just, it doesn't work like that. It never has. It never will. And uh, man, I got Mickey Gall here via submission or knockout. Um, You know, it's no disrespect to CM Punk. Seems like a cool guy, but I mean, we're being realistic here, man. I mean, since when does, you know, a guy in his mid 30s with. One year of training experience, like I said, and zero fights. How, how does he make his UFC debut and be successful there? That's what I want to know, man.
1: Well, you know, he, he's gone to a good camp. I mean, at the end of the day, he's fighting a guy who's 2-0. You know what I mean? Um, the UFC couldn't have given him a better opponent to, to possibly, you know, get an upset, essentially. But, um, you know, they, they could have been like, no, nah, you, you know, uh, you're fighting this guy who's fucking 10-0. and o. You know what I mean, but they didn't. You know, they went with this guy who's two and Mickey Gall. You know, he he's not a good, man. You know, he's had two pro fights. Like, um, I'm sure I'm sure he'll develop. I'm sure he'll get better. But, you know, it, it's like they may as well both be O and O. You know, what I mean, making making their debut because like, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the that Mickey Goal is so much technically better. You know, I'm sure he still keeps his chin up when he throws punches and. You know, probably does still do all the stuff that uh, CM Punk does. But, um, you know, he's just got a bit of experience. Probably, I don't know, he's probably had a bunch of amateur fights or something. So that's that's where he's going to get the leg up, you know. He's probably going to be used to the adrenaline dump. Um, he's, he's fought in the UFC before, so all the lights, you know, he's used to the, the, the bright lights and whatnot. So, I, you know, I think there he'll be better. But, you know, I, I wouldn't go and say that he's probably fucking any technically better, you know what I mean? And uh, Sam Punk, he spent the money. He moved to a different town. Um, you know, he went to a good camp. So, you know, those guys aren't going to embarrass themselves either by putting him in there unready, you know what I mean? So I, I do think Mickey Gall will win it. Uh, I do think he'll finish it. I think Sam Punk, if he's not finished in the first, will have no gas left in the second. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Mickey Gall will get the finish uh, probably in the first round. Like you said, submission or knockout, either way. Um, And then, uh, you know, he'll go on to talk shit and try and get big fights and probably lose a few in a row.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned how CM Punk is training at a great gym, and he absolutely is. I mean, Rufus Port, you know, Duke Rufus is a legend, Anthony Pettis, my boy Mike Biggie Rose. Those are some great training partners, and I mean, I know that they're getting him ready, but... I mean, how much can you really learn in a year? I know if you go from, you know, if you start from day one, you know, a year is a long time to get better. But for guys like you who, you know, have been fighting for a long time, it's not the same thing, man. Because, I mean, for him, you know, he's learning how to jab. He's learning how to kick. For you, you're probably working on certain things you want to improve in your game. Whereas him, he's learning the game. And as far as Mickey Gall having more experience, yeah, he's only 2-0 as a pro. But, you know, he did already fight in the UFC. He does have that uh, amateur background that you were referring to. And also, you know, he's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and CM Punk's a white belt. Not that a white belt can't beat a brown belt in the UFC, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, he's th- – this kid, uh, I-, I think he's got this shit, man. It, but, you know, I'm not willing to bet it at this price. Minus 440 is too steep for my liking. But, you know, based man, on – I, I think,
1: I think I think you'll get the win, you know. But, uh, but I think uh, the focus in CM Punk's camp for like a whole year – Or two years, or however long he's been training without a fight. That's their whole focus on the ground, you know, to avoid this brand belt and jiu jitsu and stuff would have been positional stuff. So, you know, if we're on the bottom in side control, this is how we're getting up. If we're on the bottom in north south, this is how we're getting up. If we get mounted, this is how we escape. Everything he did would have been on escapes and getting back to his feet, guaranteed 100%. That's what they would have trained the whole time. Um, you know, and and how to consolidate that top position and do damage from there. I don't think they would have focused on making him, you know, making him any kind of slick jiu-jitsu practitioner. I think everything that they focused on would have been, you know, how to get through the fight and how to get the win to his strengths. But um, I still think Mickey Gall will get the finish.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there, man. Now, the co-main event of the evening, we got Fabrizio Vaikavalo-Wardum, the former UFC heavyweight champion. He's minus 210. He's taking on Travis Brown, who's plus 175, in the rematch of uh, their first fight, which happened in Orlando, Florida. And, man... You know, We're Doom put it on Brown in their first fight. Their first fight was a five rounder. You know, Travis Brown had some, su- some success in, you know, maybe the first uh, two or three minutes of the first round. I recall he dropped uh, Doom, And then after that, We're Doom just put a striking clinic on Travis Brown. Now, my only concern, you know, I, I don't want to be too confident in We're Doom. It is a heavyweight fight. My concern is, you know, maybe We're Doom's coming back too soon from that knockout to in Miocic. But then I really thought about it, and uh, Travis Brown fought a month or two ago against Kane, so maybe he's coming back too soon as well. So, but the thing is, man, you know, Fabricio's more, more technical everywhere. And uh, he's more experienced. He's older in the in the heavier weights. The older guys seem to be doing better. I wonder what it is, man. I, I don't know why you know these guys who are you know 38, 39, 40 seem to really be having career resurgences in the heavier weights. But it is what it is, man. And uh, Fabricio, he's 39. Travis is about 33 or so. You know, Travis could catch him. You know, and maybe uh, there's a chance Fabricio is underestimating him because he already whooped him once. But I have to go with War Doom here. But no bet because it is a heavyweight fight. And uh on Travis's right night he could put Fabrizio out, but I just think uh Fabricio is better everywhere, man, and that's the
1: bottom line. Yeah, man, I think uh, I think Verdum will get this one. I think uh if it goes to the ground he's obviously he's got the upper hand there and I think um you know, I think he should be able to uh get inside Brown's reach and um and uh, do some damage in there, and, and like you said, put on that clinic. But I think you know he'll put it on again. You know, I, I think Vadum's up there, man. He, uh, I think he's he's good to go. I think he'll get back to that that title position, and uh, I think he'll get himself another shot for sure.
0: You thinking he finishes Travis Brown this time, or is it going to be a three round? Yeah, two? man.
1: No, I think he finishes Travis Brown. I, I don't, you know, I, I like you know Travis Brown's fun to watch, but uh, you know, I think he might. Um, I think, he, you know, he might have been a little bit past his title run. So, yeah, I think uh, I think you will get the finish, you know. I think he might have, you know, he may even win. You know, I, I think he'll drop him and then maybe submit him. I don't think he'll, he'll knock him out cold. I don't think he'll finish him like that. But, you know, I think there's a good chance he'll drop him and then finish him. Now, one thing that
0: a lot of people are
1: saying is, you know, what was Fabrizio Werdum's game plan
0: against uh, Stipe? But, you know, I actually disagree with that. You know, people only show the clip of Werdum running forward and getting clipped. But they don't show, uh, you know, they don't show what happened before that where Werdum was landing all those kicks. He thought he rocked Stipe and he went in to chase him. For the finish now with Travis Brown, the difference between him and Stipe, well, there's a lot of differences, but the one that I'm trying to make a point of is with Stipe, this dude will circle out and counter you. So I mean, if you chase him, that circle to the counter is bad news for you. With Travis Brown, he backs himself straight into the cage and he'll cover up. So that's good for War Doom charging forward, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think you know Verdum just ran into a punch. You know what I mean, like. I don't, I don't think he, you know, he wasn't beaten, he wasn't outclassed. I think he just, he just rushed in when he probably shouldn't have, and, and uh, you know, he ran straight into it. So, you know, that's that's what happens, that's what happens in MMA, man. But that's what happens in in uh, heavyweight fights. I mean, you can't run into that shit when you fight a heavyweight. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think he was, you know, 100 beaten or outclassed or anything like that, you know. And and uh, I think he'll finish Brown and, and he'll probably get himself another shot. So. Yeah. The
0: main event of the evening, Stipe Miocic, the defending heavyweight champion is minus 140. The comeback on Alistair Overeem is plus 120. Now, this fight's taking place in Cleveland, which is Stipe's backyard. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I know there's going to be that added pressure, but at the same time, it's a big motivator to, you know, be defending the belt in your ba- in your backyard. With Overeem, you know, a lot of people talk about how he has improved, you know, uh Working around his chin. Here's the thing with that. I mean, if Stipe catches him on the button, I don't care. You know how much Overeem's worked on his footwork and his head movement. He's going to go down. But at the same time, the fact that he has, you know, worked around that chin, man. You know his footwork, his head movement. He's, you know, he doesn't take as many risks. When he commits to something, it's only because he knows that he has you hurt. So the fact that he's gotten safer with his game, that could aid him here, man. But you know, the cardio was an issue in the past. I'm curious if that's gonna be an issue here because Stipe is known for pushing that pace, man. I mean, he's a cardio machine, He went five rounds with JDS. Even though Stipe was the one that got tired first in that fight, he still went five rounds with the former heavyweight champion. Now we got Overeem in front of us. I mean, man, Overeem's liver kick is disgusting, his knees to the body, his head movement, which I mentioned already, his punches. I mean, one doesn't simply knock out Junior Dos Santos. So the fact that he did that, that's a big statement, dude. And with Stipe, I mean, obviously, his knockout of Fabricio Werdum that speaks for itself. This is a hell of a fight. I could see the deep waters favoring Stipe Miocic. I could even see Stipe catching Overeem. But something tells me that Overeem's going to get this done, man. There's something about that hunger to become the champion as opposed to, you know, you already had it. You know what it's like. You're doing all the press. You're doing all the interviews. You're being invited to all these parties like Stipe is right now. Stipe is living the life, man. But Overeem, uh, man, is training with a great camp at Jackson's and he's really been improving, dude. So... I'm going to lean towards Overeem, but man, it's a, it's a real tough one to call. What
1: what are you thinking here, man? Man, I, I'm uh I'm a big fan of both, but uh you know, I think uh Stipe's, you know, he's he's definitely 100% the better athlete. You know what I mean? Uh Overeem's a, you know, he's a specimen, you know, to look at. Um, you know, and, and no doubt he's a great kickboxer, but you know, if we, you know we're talking about MMA here, if he gets on the ground with Stepa, you know he's, he's got better wrestling, better top position, you know, big ground and pound. Heavyweights, you know, it speaks for itself. You know they punch hard. So, you know I think Stepa, you know it'll be a little bit like the Mark Hunt fight. You know what I mean he he's going to know that being on the feet's not necessarily the smartest thing for him, even though he's got good striking and and uh, and he's got the ability to to maybe win on the feet by knockout which you know no doubt he does i mean over has been knocked out a few times you know i mean so um i think even though he 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 could keep it on the feet i think he'll he'll have a very similar game plan as what he did with mark hunt that's you know put him on his back heavy ground and pound and i don't think uh i don't think over can last even as long as hunt did so i think uh you know, second, third round maybe. I think he'll wear down on him by the time he gets to the second or third round. I think uh, Stipe will put him away with some good ground and power. Definitely it, won't be a submission, but I, I don't see this fight going the distance at all. Um, and uh, I think that would be the smartest game plan. Myself, personally, would be the same game plan as he did against Mark Hunt.
0: Interesting, man. Yeah, I, didn't, I actually didn't think about that because we don't see many people wrestling Alistair over him down. So... It's going to be interesting if Stipe can get him to the mat, man, because, I mean, dude, we've never seen Overeem off his back. And also, like we already mentioned, he has been knocked out before many times, so it can happen again. But, man, the way he's been looking lately, I mean, that footwork, that body kick, the knees, the the check left hook, uh, he's nasty. I think.
1: Yeah, well, the thing with Overeem is, you know, he, he's learned to be a little more patient. He's learned to execute his game plan. His footwork's good. Like you said, his head movement. But, I mean... That that's all good and well when you're controlling the pace of the fight, but you know no one really controls the pace of Stipe's fights. Stipe controls the pace of them. So if he decides to put the pressure on him, man, you know that might that might sort of take away his footwork and and whatnot, you know that's been working for him so well. But like you said, he's got those dangerous knees. So the thing with getting someone like over into the ground is, man, if he gets those double underhooks on you, he's popping those knees in. That's that's a that's a world of hurt. So. You know, I think it's it's a dangerous, um, it'd be a, ga- a dangerous game to play trying to get him to the ground. But at the same time, you know, I think that's the safest place to have the fight for uh, for Stepo. So I, I guess we'll we'll just wait and see what happens. But uh, you know, I think um, Stepo will win this fight, you know, second or third round, but definitely by knockout.
0: Man, you bring up some great points about Stipe's pace because he absolutely does push a serious pace, and that's one thing that has been used against Overeem in the past when guys have beat him. And, uh, man, if Stipe can keep it up, dude, then he'll get this. But the thing is... When he tries to close that distance on Overeem, I know he's gonna eat that big liver kick. So my question is, how's he gonna react to that? Hey, if he just walks through it because his cardio is so damn good that he can absorb those big shots. If he can just walk through it, he's gonna defend his title here. My question is, can he walk through it?
1: Uh, You know, I think, uh, you know, like I said, they're heavyweights. If he gets a good bite on it, you know, he might wear one or two. He might wear one on the way in. You know, Overeem might not get those underhooks. And, uh, and he might just pop off a knee, and, uh, you know, he'll wear one, but, you know, he'll get in there, I think, and, uh, and when he gets in there, you know, he's not, he's obviously not going to let him back up once he gets in on it, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think getting in there won't be a drama for him.
0: Okay, well, that's good to hear, man, because uh, he's definitely going to have to close that distance, that's for sure, but, man, it's going to be a hell of a fight, that's one thing we can agree on, and, dude, let's talk about some of these early prelims real quick, so, we got... C.B. Dalloway, is minus 170. The comeback on Francimar Bajos is plus 150. This fight is being contested at 205 pounds. Now, in Francimar Bajos' last fight, you know, he did get choked out in the second against Nikita Krylov, but Nikita Krylov was busting him up on the feet before that, you know, those head kicks, is, his combos. Nikita's absolutely disgusting, so there's no shame in losing to a guy like that. With C.B. Dalloway, you know, his last fight, he did get dropped, uh, he got knocked out by Nate Marcourt. And uh, now he's moving up a weight class, so I'm curious to see how that translates here. But man, he's had a long career, and also the gym he currently trains at, Power MMA, you know, I tend to pick against those guys because they haven't had the best success inside the octagon since they formed that gym. The numbers speak for themselves. So I'm going to lean towards Barros, but I mean, it's one of those things where CB does have the experience advantage. He's been in the UFC way longer. He's a good wrestler. So it's a tough one to, to call, man. But I'm, I'm gonna lean towards the underdog. What do
1: you think, bro? Um, you know, I, I like Seba, you know, what I mean, he. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't. I haven't really seen him sort of progressively get better. You know, he's just good. You know what I mean? And he's tough. But I did see. Uh, I did see something about him making like 20 or 25 pound weight cuts or something like that. Um. You know, man, that's that's a massive weight cut, you know, during fight week if you're, if you're trying to get off 20 or 25 pounds, you know. So, I think, you know, he's probably walking around like 210, 215 now. So, he's probably like, you know, a John Jones kind of weight, you know what I mean? So, I think, uh, I think you know, we could see a different CB Dalloway here. Um, we could definitely see a more athletic and, you know, a more energetic kind of uh, CB Dalloway, you know. Um and if that's the case, you know, we might see a bit more head movement and a bit more footwork, and, you know, it's, it's really hard to tell when guys are going up a weight class what you're going to get. So, um, you know, I think C.B. dollarway might be able to get the knockout. You know, he's got heavy hands, so I think, uh, you know, if he can put one on the chin, you know, he might get the knockout.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I'm definitely not betting that fight because, I mean, anything can happen for sure. Now, in your weight class, we got Nick Lentz. He's minus 425. And the comeback on Michael McBride, who's making his UFC debut, is plus 320. And, you know, Nick Lentz was initially supposed to fight Merbek Tysumov. And, man, that would have been a hell of a fight because Tysumov's unbelievable on the feet. Lentz is known for his grappling, his uh, grind, and uh, he's a UFC vet, man. You know, Lentz has been around the block for a very long time. It's too bad that fight didn't, you know, come to fruition. But he is taking on Michael McBride, who's, who's making his UFC debut. And with McBride, you know, he's very tall for the weight class. He's six feet tall. And if you look at his record on paper, I mean, he's only lost to Manuel Sanchez, who is a good fighter in his own right. But you go and you watch the tape, and McBride doesn't have the best takedown defense. He doesn't utilize his reach on the feet. I think this is one of those situations where they needed someone to take the fight on very short notice, and he maybe hasn't gotten the best uh, training in. And regardless, I would have picked Lentz anyways because I think he's better everywhere. But with Lentz, man, I do think that you know, there's only he only has about three to five fights left and you know it's not my place to say how much longer a fighter can go it's just my observation from what I've seen because you know those cuts he was making to 145 were serious he's commented on it many times and his body has changed as a result and he was like dude I can't make 45 anymore or I'm gonna die I have to go up to 55 and he says at 55 the cuts are bad enough but that's the least he can do because, you know, he's too short to make 170. So I'm going to go with Lens here. I mean, I got to, but, uh, man, I, I really want to see that Tysumov fight get rebooked.
1: Yeah, I think Lentz is, you know, he's a grinder, man. He, he's going to have too much, uh, he's going to be too strong. You know, a taller guy, too, is a little bit easier to take down. So, you know, I think if, uh, I don't know anything about McBride, but, like, if he's, if he's, uh Defense isn't there, like you say, and, he, and he's taller. I mean, that already makes him easier to take down. And, and uh, you know, having minimal defense against those takedowns is, is going to, you know, lead you to a bad night. Especially against someone like uh, Nick Lentz, who he's got just that grinding pace, man. You know, he just gets hold of you and he just grinds and grinds and grinds. And, you know, he just wears down on you. So, I think, uh, I think Lentz will get the finish. Yeah, man, I could totally see that.
0: Definitely via, you know, whether it's a submission or a knockout. But I'm leaning more towards a submission here. But we'll definitely see how it plays out. Now, before we get out of here, man, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So first, the fight to watch for UFC 203. What do you think it is, Damian?
1: Uh, For me, it's definitely the heavyweight fight. I think that's the fight to watch. I think, you know, it finishes by knockout either way. You
0: talking about uh, the main or co-main?
1: Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the uh, the main the main uh, fight is definitely the the fight to watch uh, because uh, I think it, it finishes by knockout. Which I, there's no way that fight's going to decision. I don't think Overeem's got five rounds worth of cardio in him to last at Stipe's pace. But I do think, like you say, he's got those brutal knees and brutal leg kicks, and you know he could certainly slow him up enough. And I think if he pops off a good one of them like he did against Lesnar, then um, you know, it could be an early night for Stipe, but if Stipe gets him down, gets on top of him, you know, over him's going to get finished for sure. So I think that's the fight to watch for sure, um, and the uh, the fighter to watch. You know, I, I reckon I reckon we watch Joanne Calderwood at the moment, man. She's uh she's onto a good thing. You know, she goes home to uh, where's she from? Scotland. Scotland, yeah. Yeah, she goes home to Scotland and. Uh, in between fights i follow her on instagram and she just has a good time at home and then when she's ready for a fight she comes out and does a few months at tristar and i think i think she's on to a good thing you know she seems to be uh, sort of settled and happy doing that and um she's performing well out of the tristar gym as well so i think she's the fighter to watch
0: yeah, I mean, the main event's definitely the fight to watch, and I couldn't agree with you more about Joanne Calderwood. I mean, we have to look out for how she performs because this is a big test, and the winner of this fight could be in line for the next title shot after uh, Joanna and Carolina, you know, settle their differences. Now, for me, my uh, fighter to watch is Jimmy Rivera, man. I mean, look. Anytime uh, Uriah Faber is involved in a fight, it's a serious scrap. But with Jimmy Rivera, he's got the opportunity of a lifetime. If he can go out there and defeat Uriah Faber, I mean, that's an automatic top five spot in the rankings. And people will talk about him, you know, being in title contention. It'll propel his career to that next level. You know how it goes. When dudes beat Uriah Faber, it changes their lives. Because, I mean, with Faber, he's got that name value to him. I mean, it's like uh, beating a BJ Penn. I mean, it's... He's a legend of the sport. He's a pioneer. So to get that kind of name under your resume, it's a big, big deal. So my fighter to watch is Jimmy Rivera. Now, Damian, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been an absolute pleasure, my man. Let the audience know what's coming up next. And uh, we know to follow you on social media at Beatdown155. But uh, what's coming up next for you, bro? What are you looking to do?
1: Man, I'm just hoping to get uh, get that email, you know, call them out for UFC Melbourne November 27 and uh, put it on a show for my home fans and and uh, show them a little bit about the uh, what the Atlanta fans got to see, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I want to get another finish. I want a good opponent. It's, uh, I don't care if they stand and strike or if they grapple, you know. I don't, I don't care. I'll grapple with the best. I'll stand and strike with the best, so... You know, hopefully they give me uh, someone awesome that's uh, you know above me in the ranking somewhere and uh, climb me up into that top fifty. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, but you know I'm looking at UFC Melbourne, so uh, wait and see. Watch this space. Definitely. How far away is uh, Brisbane from Melbourne? Uh, it's about two thousand kilometers, but it's a uh, well what's that? That's about uh, it's about twelve hundred miles. Okay. But it's um. You know, I think it's about two-and-a-half-hour plane ride. That ain't bad at all, man.
0: You think uh, there's a chance Robert Whittaker headlines the event?
1: Yeah, man. Did I just see something this morning that Joel Romero is fighting uh, Chris Weidman? Yeah, man. Apparently, that's happening in New York. That's going to be a hell
0: of a fight, dude.
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I hope in that case that we uh, I hope we see Whittaker versus uh, Luke Rockhold or Jacare. So, uh, man. We'll see what happens, I mean... That- That's a main event He's ranked number six, man. He's ranked number six. He deserves a top five. So, uh, yeah, I hope he gets one of those two.
0: You know, I kind of wanted to see Robert Whitaker versus Yoel because they are my two favorite fighters in the middleweight division. But now I'm kind of happy that one of them doesn't have to lose and uh, they can both get title shots if they win their subsequent fights. But, dude, like you said, Luke Rockhold or Jacare against Whitaker in the main event I mean, that's the definition of a main event fight, and the winner will be right up there, you know, for the next title shot.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see him fight. Uh, fight Rockhold. Now that I know that, um, you know, Weidman and and Yuel are matched up, so, uh, you know, they put him in against Rockhold, and he knocks Rockhold out. You know, that definitely makes him look good for a title shot, right? So, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens, man. But hopefully, hopefully, he's the he's the main event, and uh, maybe I can open that card too.
0: Yeah, I mean. I'll definitely be betting on uh, Robert Whittaker there. That's for sure, man. Well, Damian, thanks again for the time. And for all the fans watching, thank you guys so much. Follow me on Twitter, at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.